0: To see you guys. Sorry, whether well, you're joining us here in the worship center, you're out on the patio or online, uh, just great to be with you this weekend as we continue our study in the Word. I do have a couple of just quick quick announcements to tag on to what Kelly just shared. Uh, uh, first of all, don't forget the next weekend, uh, we enter into uh, kind of a mask optional zone. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. And so uh, if you weren't here last week, I've sent out, you know, uh, an email about that, but I want to make sure you're, you're, you're clear on that the next week as we, we come in, we'll be kind in a new zone that way. And then secondly, I uh, just want to encourage you, you know, this course that we're going to be teaching uh, called The Message is an overview of the entire Bible. There's still time to sign up. It starts this Tuesday, but there is a pre-reading assignment beforehand. So I'm really excited. It's a, a great opportunity for growth this summer. And uh, make sure when you sign up, you'll get the, the information on what to prepare for. But I want to encourage you to do that so it'll be a summer of growth. I mean, we're going to come to the summer, Lord willing, one way or another. You might as well be better when you get done, right? So, <laughs> (laughs) So so we're going to use this as a summer of growth. And so, hey, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so I think Kelly mentioned it, but inside your program is a message note sheet. If you're watching online, of course, you can download that there from whatever platform you're on. Uh, But if you're ready to go, uh, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here again this weekend to be pursuing you as a church and we're so thankful for what you're doing in our church and in this series, in our lives, and so we pray that today, as always, your voice will be the loudest voice in our head, that we would, as always, we would listen and then respond and follow. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today, It's it's a seaside town and uh, in the middle of the town, there's this large stone building. And uh, that's where they're headed. Uh, they've, just, uh, they've just come back from an important mission. And it's been highly successful, but it's also been incredibly draining. But, uh, but already their young leader is speaking again. And it seems like wherever he goes, the crowd develops and wherever he goes, uh, people are, are leaning in. They're uh, hanging on his words, trying to often make sense exactly what he's saying. On this particular occasion, inside this large stone community center, that's what's happening again. And as he speaks, uh, the crowd is riveted. Uh, audience is locked on every word. But all of a sudden, in the middle of his talk, the leader takes a sudden left turn, hard left turn, And he begins to stray into some very dangerous territory. And uh, as his young friend in the crowd is watching, he's extremely concerned. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to realize what's happening. Suddenly, the whole tone of the entire room is changing the tension is rising. You can read it on people's faces. You can see it in their body language. The resistance is building. And honestly, this friend can't make sense of this. Why is he doing this? Things have been going so well. They had him eating out of the palm of his hand. And now it's almost like he's intentionally driving them away. Everything within it makes wants to run up and pull the leader from the stage, kind of like a political handler to get him out of harm's way to stop him before he ruins their entire mission. But he knows he can't do that. It's impossible in this setting. There's no way that that would work. And all he knows is that the longer the leader is speaking, the more he's losing the crowd and their entire mission is in jeopardy. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in the last few months. It's called Signs, A Path to Life. And for those of you who are brand new, whether you're here for the first time at Rocky Peak, inside or out, uh, or you're online, I wanna welcome you. Uh, This is a series about Jesus. In fact, it's an in-depth look at the life and teaching of Jesus, as seen through the eyes of one of his closest friends, confidants, uh, followers. His name is John, and we call him the Apostle John who towards the end of his life is is writing his account of his experiences, firsthand experiences, with the life and teaching of Jesus, and especially focusing in on seven specific supernatural signs that Jesus performs over the time that they were together, the two or three years, that, that he believes gives a special insight into who Jesus is, why he came, and they kind of marks for each of us the path to life. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at the fourth on these seven signs, and so it, happens, um, it happens about a year before Jesus' uh, death. Uh, it happens on the northeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has spent the day healing and, uh, and teaching the crowds, and then that night, he, uh, kind of like Moses before him, long before him, he feeds the entire crowd, 5,000 men and their families, somewhere between maybe 10 and 20,000 people with just one, one kid's meal, like uh, five rolls and a couple fish. Sort of, I, I've called it, you know, their version of the happy meal. And during, and, and so when the crowd sees us, it triggers deep uh, kind of national memories. Uh, of when Moses led them out into the wilderness uh, after the exodus and fed them supernaturally for 40 years with, with the bread in the wilderness. And so they're, they're beginning to put two and two for, together. And for many of them, this is a, a turning point where they, hey, this is, the, this is the, the, the prophet that Moses said would one day come. This is the Messiah. And they wanted to come and force him to become king. But Jesus, of course, realizes this would be a disaster, and so he quickly dismisses the crowd, sends his disciples out to the sea to go back to Capernaum on the other side. He goes up on the hill to pray, and then that night, in the early morning hours, walks on water, and then they end up on the shores of Capernaum, which is his home base on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. So if you were here last week, we watched this. Once again, the crowds finally catch up with him. They find him. And, uh, and he begins to teach them again, but he begins to challenge him right at the beginning of that message. And he says, y'all are following me, but you're following me for the wrong reason. You're, you're following me because I, I, you, you think I'm the Messiah that's going to destroy Rome and, and then bring in free food, kind of be your bread king. He said, but you shouldn't be following me for the bread which perishes. You should be kind of working instead for the bread which endures to eternal life. And he began to talk about how he is the bread of heaven that's come down to give his life for the world and that whoever believes in him will never hunger, will never thirst. And so that's where we left off last week, right in the midst of his message. And so today we're gonna pick it up there again As today, all of a sudden, Jesus' teaching is going to take this hard left turn. It's going to throw the crowd into disarray. And by the end of the time, he's teaching many of those who just 24 hours before wanted to crown him king and make him king are now leaving him. And so if you have your Bibles, your apps, let's go ahead and open up to John chapter 6. If you have your, um, there in your note sheet, you see a section called Signs, the Confrontation. So we're gonna pick it up at verse 48. Uh, This is kind of a little overlap from when we went last week, but I think this has set the stage. So this is where he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven Whoever eats this bread will live forever. When you get to the, the time of your death, Because of the life inside of you, I've given you, you just step over into life that is truly life. And he said, I am the living bread, verse 51, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And then he says, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So that's where we left off last week, where Jesus begins to make this tie between his death and our life. This life that comes to us is going to come via his death. And so the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. As we've seen all through the Gospel of John, they often take Jesus literally when he's speaking metaphorically. And so it says the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus says, well, let me explain. And so he says, uh, verse 53, very truly, you know, amen, amen, something important. I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now I want you to picture this. Like some of us are very familiar with this and one of the, the downsides of being a believer a long time, one of the downsides of being familiar with the Bible is sometimes we miss the obvious. But can you imagine being there listening to Jesus that day and he says, yeah, if you want, if you want this bread, you've, you've gotta eat my body, you gotta drink my blood. And what's going about to happen is that Jesus is going to use a powerful metaphor of what it means to believe in him and what happens when we do believe in him. Uh, that it's going to be incredibly profound, but incredibly offensive on purpose. This is his, what I call last week, his thinning the herd sermon, all right? So he says, 53, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh Of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And so I'm sure at this point, I mean, everyone's getting very tense. Like, what is he talking about? This is grossing us out. Right? This, this metaphor that Jesus is using of eating his flesh, drinking his blood, it's is both extremely profound and it's incredibly offensive. Well, let's talk about the profound part. What we've seen throughout the Gospel of John is Jesus is using a wide variety of metaphors to explain that he has come to give us this life, this life that will transform us from the inside out. this life of God, this life that we are created to live. He's talked to us about being born again. He's talked to us about uh, uh, drinking deeply of the water of life. Now he's changing the metaphor to the bread of life. And in all these metaphors, there's a sense that, that when we believe in Jesus, something happens to us. That at an organic level, we are connected to him where his life comes into us and we begin to share the very life of the Son of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. We actually take him in and he becomes part of us and we become a part of him. It's incredibly profound. But in that culture on that day, this would have been incredibly offensive. And you say, why? Well, not only for the obvious, it just sounds gross. But catch this, in Jewish culture, according to the Old Testament law, Jews were not allowed to eat or drink blood. In the Old Testament, there were strict laws. When you kill an animal, you have to drain it of its blood. The, 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 blood, the Old Testament the Leviticus says the life of the animal is in the blood, so the life is sacred. The blood can be used for sacrifice because we're pouring out a life in death but you can't drink the blood. You can't eat the blood. Even when you have meat, you have to drain it first. And so for, for Jewish people to talk about drinking blood is incredibly offensive. And, and that's just with the blood of animals, but now Jesus is talking about eating, eating, eating my flesh, drinking my blood, which is kind of like, almost like cannibalism or something and he's being incredibly offensive, but what you want, I want you to catch is this is obviously intentional. This group of people is following him, but for the wrong reason. They believe that he's gonna be this incredible Messiah that's gonna be conquered Rome and then provide him with free food. And they're willing to listen and follow him as long as he fulfills their vision for his life. They don't really trust him, they trust him to carry out their vision. And the moment that they realize that his vision is not their vision, they're gonna leave him. So they don't really trust Jesus, they just trust that he will fulfill their vision for their lives. And Jesus knows this. He knows they don't really trust him, but they don't know it yet. And so he's going to spring some very strong language to bring them to a critical crossroads where they have to decide, are we going to follow him or not? And so he goes on and he says in verse 57, just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Sure, your ancestors ate manna, but they died. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, right? So, so John throws in. Now he's waited till this point to tell us where this is happening. Um, so, so what he's saying, apparently that at this point, he says, I want you on this conversation took place at the synagogue in Jesus' headquarters town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum. Now, this is interesting because we know exactly where the synagogue was. And in fact, when we go to Israel every year, and Lord willing, we're, we're going again next March, it looks like, that as every year we go to Jerusalem, I mean, go to the Sea of Galilee, we go to Capernaum. And for those of you who have been, you remember this, we go to the exact site of the synagogue. In fact, what's on that site right now is a fourth century ruins of a fourth century synagogue, but it was built on top of the, the, the foundation and you can actually see it there of the first century synagogue, the synagogue of Jesus. And so we, we know where this synagogue was. We know what size several hundred people could be in there. Uh, and, and this takes us back to the story we started the day with about this young man who's come back off with his team on a very successful mission. But uh, right away, his, his young charismatic leader is, is jumping into action right away. He's up teaching again in this large stone building. And as he's listening in, Uh, Once again, the leader has the crowd eating out of his hands. Like always, they're leaning in. They can't get enough of him. And then all of a sudden, the leader takes a left turn. And he begins to go down a path. And you can feel the tension in the room. He's losing the crowd. If he doesn't stop soon, this is going to be disastrous. And that's exactly what we're going to see what happens. My version of this scene. And so... In verse sixty, it says, On hearing it, many of his whom? Disciples. Okay, can you underline that in your Bible or highlight it where it's been very important? Many of his disciples. In other words, people who saw themselves as followers of Jesus. These would be people who the day before, many of whom wanted to make him king. These are people who day before, when they watched him feed the 5,000 in their families, said, oh, this is the prophet Moses said, we need to come and make him Messiah. They've been watching all of this. They've been watching him do his miracles. They've been listening to his teach. They're convinced he's the Messiah. They were believers, But after this message, it was so incredibly offensive. It says many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? In other words, we can not accept it, as we'll see. So aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said, does this offend you? <laughs> and he said, well, you haven't seen anything yet. Uh, he said, then What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, this is interesting. This is a very cryptic comment. We're not sure what Jesus is talking about. He says, hey, does this really offend you about eating the flesh, drink? Is that really offensive? Hey, what if you saw me ascend to where I was before? Remember, he just said he was the bread of life who'd come down from heaven. They had really struggled with that. What do you mean? You're Jesus. We know who your father was. We know who your mother was. We know who your family is. So they're already struggling. He says, "Well, what if you saw me ascend to where I was before?" And the question is like, "How does that have to do with anything?" And we honestly don't really know. But I think one of the best theories, one that I gravitate towards, is that, that what Jesus is saying is he's he's going to ascend to the Father, but he's going to ascend to the Father via the cross. His path is going to lead him to the cross. And so it's very likely that what he's saying is, hey, this is offensive, eating my flesh, drinking my blood, you think that's offensive? What happens if the Messiah that you think is coming to conquer Rome is going to be killed by Rome? And that's the path back to heaven. How offensive will that be? But be that as it may, he goes on and he says, he says in verse 63, the, look, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing, kind of our natural human understanding. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. And so Jesus is saying, what we've seen throughout this entire gospel, how important the role of the Holy Spirit is in our coming to Jesus. We saw in John chapter three, unless you're born again by the spirit, you, you can't enter the kingdom. We saw in John chapter four this offer of this living water and Jesus seems to be talking about the water of the Holy Spirit because in John chapter seven that we'll get to in a couple of weeks, he talks about rivers of living water and John says he was talking about the gift of the Spirit. Right? And so throughout this gospel, he's telling us it's the work of the Spirit that takes the words of Jesus and makes them come alive and opens our eyes. And what he's telling this crowd is that Hey, I know you're not following this, but it's, it's the spirit that opens your eyes. It's the spirit that gives you the life to understand what I'm talking about. He says, so the words that I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. It says, yet in spite of that, there are some of you who don't believe. He said, for Jesus had known from the very beginning which of them did not believe and who would even betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. So I don't know if you remember this, but last week in verse 44, chapter six, verse 44, he said, when they're grumbling, when he said he came down from heaven, he was a bread of life, he says, hey, don't grumble uh, unless, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. This requires a work of the Spirit in your life. And so he repeats that again here. And then he's in verse 66 he says, from this time on, many of his, what? Underline that. Many of his disciples, right? Self-proclaimed followers of Jesus. They turned back and they no longer followed him. They stopped believing. They, they believed he was the Messiah the day before. They'd no longer believe that. Now, whoops, we were wrong, Okay. And so this is incredible because not only does this create a critical crossroads for all this crowd listening, but it creates a critical crossroad for his own 12 disciples. And so this teaching is so radical. It's so offensive. He turns to them and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? He asks the 12. He starts the 12. He says, what about you? Now it's interesting because in the Greek, the way this question is asked suggests that he expects, he expects a negative response. There's two ways to ask a question in Greek, and one expects a negative, one expects a positive. So he apparently expects them to say, no, we want to follow you. But I want you to catch this. He knows he needs to ask the question. This is a critical crossroads in their life. Are they going to continue following him even though... His vision is so different than theirs. Are they gonna to continue to follow even though they probably don't understand what he's talking about, eating flesh and drinking blood? And Peter, this is one of his moments of brilliance. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? He speaks for, the, for all of them. He says, you have the words of eternal life. And it, I'm, I'm almost sure that at this point in, his, in their lives, they have no clue what Jesus is talking about. They have no, eat, eat my flesh. I think they're probably as confused as the crowd. Their idea of who the Messiah was and what he would do was the same as the crowds. We'll see that later on in their life. They don't understand what he's saying and they certainly don't understand what he's talking about, about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. They are probably equally put off but there's a difference between them and the crowd and the difference is the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes to who Jesus is and though they don't understand what he's saying, they trust in who he is. The Spirit has given them life. they, They can't make sense of all this but they sense that he is who he claims to be. And though they don't understand him now, they're going to continue to follow him in the hopes that they will. And so, Peter says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That Messiah. And so Jesus says, well, even amongst the 12, you're not all good. He says, have I not chosen you? You know, the 12, he selected them, but but one of you is a devil. And of course, he's talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who even though he's one of the 12, one of the inner circle will later betray him. Now, of course, at the time, neither John nor any of the disciples understand this. There's nothing about Judas at this point in time that would suggest he's the one. We'll see that later as we come to chapter 12 and chapter 13 is that when, when they find that it's Judas, they're gonna be blown away. Like no one's gonna go, oh, I always knew he was a little weird. Right? But Jesus says, hey, every, you know, most people are leaving him. He turns to the 12, he says, what about you? They says, we're staying. He's going, yeah, but we still got a defector even here. Right? Okay, so that's the passage. It's an incredible passage. It starts with the, the feeding of the 5,000, kind of like Moses, where they recognize Jesus is the prophet. They get that right. He is the king. Uh, and, and because of that, they pursue him. But Jesus realizes they're pursuing, as we saw last week, for the wrong reason. And so he begins to challenge them about why are they following him. And when they're not getting it, he, he resorts to very strong, incredibly profound, but incredibly Uh, offensive language to help them realize they don't really trust him. And by the end of the day, many of those who saw themselves as disciples leave him. And it's a critical crossroads, not only for the crowd, but also for the 12. So here's what I want to do. And the time that we have together, I want to do two. I want to highlight two important principles about our life, our journey with Jesus, how we grow, what to expect in our, in our lives. Second, and then come back at the end and as often I do, ask one really critical question. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs the Tipping Point. Because for this crowd, this message was a tipping point. This was a point where many of his disciples said we can no longer trust him, we no longer believe, they they went the wrong way. For the disciples, they went the other way. So, So here's the two principles. Number one, the first principle is that a good start doesn't guarantee a successful finish. A good start doesn't guarantee a successful finish. Now this is something the New Testament teaches all the time. Uh, one of the most uh, common metaphors the New Testament teaches is it compares our, our journey with Jesus. It compares our relationship with Jesus to running a race. And it's constantly challenging us not to get off track, not to stop. And what the message of the New Testament is, is one of the marks of a true disciple of Jesus is they keep on following to the end. How do you know a real disciple? A real disciple follows to the end. Now, we see that today. We see that in this crowd, that this crowd had gotten off to a great start. They were really taken in by Jesus. As we saw last week, they're following him all around the Sea of Galilee. They can't wait to get with him. When he tries to get away to get some R&R with his disciples, remember last week, they ran around the top of the Sea of Galilee to, to get there before him. They stayed all day listening to his teaching, watching him healing. And when they, when, when he had, uh, uh, when he had fed the 5,000, their families, they they put two and two together, this is the prophet, this is the king, we're gonna force him to be king, and then when he leaves, uh, kind of uh, under the cover of darkness, they chase him down the next day in Capernaum. These are people that see themselves as believers. They had started on a fast track, they were on a fast, they got to a great start, but John leaves us, no question in our minds, though they started well, they did not finish the race. And I want you to see that again, how he puts it there in your note sheet. From this time, many of his what? And that's important. He's not saying the crowd. Many of his disciples, those who saw themselves as followers of Jesus, no longer followed them. And as I said, we see this throughout the New Testament, Right? And sometimes we see in Christian circles, we see a, a famous leader that we find out has been a, a fraud for a long time or we, we see someone that we've, we've known and we've, we've maybe gone to school with, we've grown up, we've been followers of Jesus and then they, they go off the rails. And it always takes us by surprise when that happens, like what happened, but, but what we fail to miss is that the New Testament is constantly telling us is that a good start doesn't guarantee a successful finish to this race. And Jesus taught that. And it was interesting. Uh, One of his his most famous uh, short stories he told that we call parables um, was was about a farmer. And and I know a lot of you will remember this. Uh, He said, once upon a time, there was a farmer and uh, he went out to plant his field. Now, in those days, the way you would plant your field. These are just like small, you know, this is not like John Deere type things. You know, this is like, you, know, you have a small plot of land. And so what you would do is you would plow up your, your, your soil and then as a farmer, you'd go and you'd scatter your soil on top of the plowed up ground and then you'd cover it over. That's how you did it. And so he says, hey, this guy goes out and he plants his, his seed in his, his field. And the seed fell on four different kinds of soil, which represent eventually, we're going to find out, four different kinds of people, four different kinds of responses to the gospel. So the first kind of soil, the, the, kind of, the first kind of person, is a person who's just really not open to the message of the kingdom of God at all. And so Jesus says, when, when they hear The gospel, uh, the message of Jesus, they they don't even respond. Uh, Satan comes and and steals the seed before it can, it never even germinates, right? And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, seed number four or soil number four, these are people like the 12 disciples. These are people that they listen to the message of the kingdom, they respond, uh, they start to grow and they, they bear fruit, they're very fruitful, right? So that's the first and the last. But in between, we have two kinds of soils representing two kinds of people. And catch this, both of them start really well. But neither of them finishes well. Like the crowd today, they started well, but they didn't finish well. So, so what stopped them? What were the critical crossroads that they came to? Like for this crowd, their critical crossroad was this very offensive teaching of Jesus. About eating my flesh, that that was their crowd. But what was it for these two kinds of soils, two kinds of people? Well, Jesus said for for the first of the two, He said this is a this is a kind of person that He says uh, gets planted in what He calls rocky soil, or uh, a better uh, translation would be uh, soil that's on top of a rock slab. He said so. What happens is that there's a thin layer of topsoil. Uh, over this underneath large layer of rock slab. And because of the rock slab, when the sun beats down that slab, it, it takes in that heat and it holds that heat. So it creates a very warm soil that produces the, these, these uh, seeds of the kingdom. They, they, they sprout very rapidly. They grow very rapidly. But before they can go down very long, they hit this this rock, they can't get through the rock, they can't get the moisture, and so they die out, right? says, so this is a second kind of a person, a person that starts well, but doesn't finish well. And so what, what is the rock? What is the critical, uh, critical junction that causes them to go wrong? Well, it's there in your note sheet in Mark chapter 4. He says, others like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with what? Joy. So, so they, they're off to a great start. They hear the, the message of the kingdom about Jesus. They're like this crowd. They're very excited about Jesus. They hear it with joy. But since they have no root, they can't get down through that rock. They only last a short time. And when trouble or persecution, so underline that trouble or persecution. So for this kind of person, they they get very excited about the kingdom, but when hard times in life come, they were not anticipating that. They thought if they're following the kingdom that they should avoid the hard times. So when hard times come, they're not so sure, this is what they signed up, this will stop them. He says, or persecution. They're very excited about Jesus until it started costing them something. And when it costs him something, he's like, well, I love the message of the kingdom, but like, I'm not gonna suffer for it. So it stops them, all right? So they get off to a great start, but a good start doesn't guarantee a successful finish. Now, what about the third kind of soil, right? So this third kind of soil, uh, Jesus says, well, this is a kind of soil where the, the message of the kingdom comes in, it gets planted, but in that soil, there are already other seeds, they're seeds of thorns, their seeds of weeds. So as the, the kingdom uh, plant begins to grow in that person's life, uh, also alongside of it, faster growing weeds, uh, thorns are coming up that are swamping it, kind of keeping it from getting the moisture, from getting the, the roots and nourishment, keeping it from getting the sunlight, and they choke it out. And so this is a, a kind of person that starts well but they they don't finish well. Well, what stops them? What are the the critical crossroads that they fail to make the right choice? Well, this is what Jesus says. He says, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life. Okay, now catch that. That doesn't sound very impressive, does it? The worries of this life, like in in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about the worries of this life, what you'll eat, what you'll put on. You know, how you get your kids' braces. You know, how do we, how do we uh, get, get kids to all their, their games? You know, uh, uh, how do we get into college? Uh, how do we pay the bills? How do we, just the worries of life. He said the deceitfulness of wealth. What's he talking about? Hey, you thinking that, hey, getting wealthy is going to be the path to life. It needs to be our, our top program. We're to surrender our finances to Jesus. He said, or the desire for other things, what we call materialism. Just the more you get, the better life is. And so Jesus says, this kind of person, it's not persecution that stops them. Um, it's not hard times. It's, it's distractions with other things. It's running after other things. That keeps them. So they start well, but they don't finish well. And so what I want you to catch is what we see today in John 6. Here's these disciples, self-identified followers of Jesus, started well, but a strong start doesn't guarantee a successful ending of the race. And that's why the New Testament is constantly challenging us to not get distracted, to stay on track, to run this race to the end because one of the marks of a true Christ follower is a follow to the end. So for example, there in your note sheet, here's just an example in Hebrews 12 where the, the writer says, therefore, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's not stop the race. He says, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the model of the perfect race runner. He's the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So so Jesus is your model. He realized that he was going to have to go through a significant persecution in order to get the prize. He says, so, so focus your eyes on Jesus and his model, run the race like he does. A good start or a strong start doesn't guarantee a successful finish. Number two, the second principle is that in this journey that we're on with Jesus, that Jesus leads us through critical crossroads. Uh, in other words, that as we follow Jesus, one of the things we, we learn, we see illustrated in this passage today is that as we follow Him, we should expect that each of us are going to go through times of critical crossroads in our life too. Times where we have to decide do I still believe in Jesus? I, I thought I believed in Jesus. Do I still believe in Jesus? Am I still willing Him to follow? What we're seeing illustrated today is for this crowd, they came to a critical crossroad. And this teaching was too offensive. And what it revealed about them is they didn't really trust Jesus. They trusted their vision of the coming of the kingdom. And when Jesus didn't fulfill that vision, they weren't going to follow him. They only trusted him as long as he was fulfilling their vision for their lives. And so this was a critical crossroads for them. But catch this, this was a critical crossroads for the 12 too. Can you imagine like in the opening story being one of the disciples of Jesus and sitting in that synagogue in Capernaum and hearing Jesus talk about the bread of life that came down, you're probably hanging with that. You're not really understanding what he's talking about but half the time you don't. And that's okay, you know, the, we have the living water, we got the born again stuff, you know. There's a lot we don't understand, when, but that's okay. But can you imagine when, when he takes that left turn and starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? I'm sure if you're the disciples, you wanna run up and take the mic. This is going south. I mean, this, this campaign is going awesome. They believe in you, they wanna make you king. This is going great, what are you doing? This was a crisis for them as well as them. They had had many critical crossroads in their life. Way back in John 1, they had to decide, do we follow Jesus and say, where are you staying? Then they had to decide, will we go with Jesus north or will we stay with John the Baptist? And then when Jesus called them to leave their nets, they had, these were all critical crossroads in their journey. But this is a big one today. Everyone else is leaving him, Are you staying? While all, all along, you understand exactly why they're leaving. For them it was a critical crossroads, but for Jesus, he understands that many times in our life, he has to lead us to critical crossroads, where we come to a decision: are we with him or not? And when we take that step, something happens inside of us. Our faith is strengthened. Our character is formed. We experience the power of the Spirit in a new way. When we say, yes, I may not understand why I'm going through this hard time. Yes, I may not understand why I have to be persecuted for following you. I may not understand why you're calling me on this path. But I trust you. And I'm going to keep on following even though it doesn't make sense in many ways. It's in these moments, men that our lives are shaped, our character is formed. And this is what happened for them. And so what I wanna catch for some of us in this room, those of you watching online, that we're gonna go through critical crossroads. Some of you are gonna go through hard times that you can't, like, God, if you love me, why are you allowing this? And why aren't you listening to my prayers? Some of us are gonna go through hard times of persecution. I keep telling you the cost of following Jesus is going up, do I not? And I'm telling you, this week, very typical of a normal week for me, very typical. I saw in Virginia and in uh, Oregon, two sets of teachers or principals that lost their position because they refused as Christians to buy into this transgender ideology that denies science and denies scripture. And they said, we will not compromise and call a biological male a, fee- a female. We will not compromise the truth that we do not believe it's true. We will not use that language. And, and can we work together to come up with a plan that's honoring to everyone, but we can't. And they said, no, you're gonna lose your jobs. And so they're, they're having to sue for their jobs. This is what I'm talking about. The cost of following Jesus is going up. And there will be many people that have called themselves disciples who will say, no, I'm not following anymore. I was willing to follow until it costs me. But now, like the crowds, I'm, I'm turning around. I'm not gonna follow anymore. You know, sometimes it comes in subtle ways. The, the critical crossroads is in the area of our priorities, like Jesus said, just the busyness of life getting in the way. You know I 've thought of that, and I, I've said this many times from up here, and I want to be crystal clear on this. So I believe there are legitimate reasons, especially for those of you are watching at home, there are legitimate reasons why some people uh, should not be in groups right now because of their maybe a, a compromised immune, uh, a, immune system or uh, some situation with vaccine or, what, or their, whatever their vulnerability that's appropriate for them not to be in church but to continue to join us online whether it's here or somewhere else. I think it's very appropriate, all right? But here's one of my fears is that because of COVID, what's happened Is that within the body of Christ at at large, not just the Rocky people, but body of Christ? There are some people that have stopped following Jesus, stopped going to church, just because of the busyness of life. It's just gotten easy. It got easy to watch at home, and then it got easy to just like, yeah, I'm tired of that online. Just stop going, and all of a sudden they find themselves drifting away. They're critical crossroads. It's not some persecution. It's not hard times. It's just what Jesus said. It's the worries of everyday life. It's just the priorities of other things. And all of a sudden you you wake up and you're no longer following Jesus. And you're not even conscious. So there was a time when I said not to. For sometimes it's the critical crossroads is that pursuit of Maybe wealth or materialism, and for some, the critical crossroads is teaching of Jesus that's offensive in our culture, just like here in their culture. It's different offenses, but it's teaching of Jesus that runs countercultural. It's not politically correct, and so because we want to be politically correct or we want to be woke. That we will just stop following so we avoid any conflict. And what I want you to catch, as brothers, as as followers of Jesus, that He will many times in our life lead us through these kind of critical crossroads, which will reveal whether we believe in Him or not. And when we take the right step, we are transformed and we are changed and our convictions are stronger and the change is faster and the relationship with Jesus is deeper because we've said, I may not understand what you're doing but I believe you're the Holy One of God and I'm hitching my wagon to you whether I understand it or not. Now, this leads to an important question. And here's the question. There's a section called Signs, a Key Question. And I want you to think about this. The question is what could stop you from following Jesus? Many times we assume, well, well, nothing could stop me from following Jesus. But the, the New Testament constantly challenges us to be alert, to be on guard. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Like like, if the enemy were going to attack you, if, if, if there was a critical crossroads, it would be tempting for you to stop following Jesus, what would it be? What, would it be hard times? Would it be persecution? Would it be just the distractions and the priorities of life getting misaligned, just find yourself drifting off? Would it be the pursuit of wealth or materialism, kind of not surrendering your finances to Jesus? Would it be his teaching that you may not even understand at times that's very unpopular in our culture? It would, like what would it for you be the thing that would, be, would, would uh, threaten you from, from following Jesus? And the beautiful thing in this passage is I think that what we see in this passage is the key to us following to the end. And it's something that Jesus said there on your note sheet in John 6 and verse 63. Jesus said this. He said it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh, kind of our our human nature, our human understanding, that that counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they're full of spirit and their life. And when you stop and look at, at these disciples... I'm convinced that this is why they kept following. They kept following because they were holding on to the teaching of Jesus, but the teaching of Jesus as it was being illuminated by the Holy Spirit. In other words, like I said, I don't think they understood everything Jesus was talking about. I, I, we know for sure, they didn't understand he had come to die for our sins. That whole, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand like why he wasn't going to be the Messiah that conquers. They don't understand that. They don't understand about this eat by flesh, drink my, they don't get that. But there's something about Jesus and there's something about his teaching that riveted them. They, they sensed there was life there. They sensed that he was who he claimed to be. They had watched what he'd done, the miracles. The Holy Spirit had opened their eyes. God was drawing them and they, they held on to that. Even when they didn't fully understand what he was saying, they held on to him because the Holy Spirit was revealing to them these are the words of life. And men and women, that's what we do. This is how we win. When we're going through hard times and everything within us says, how could God still love me and not be answering my prayers? When we go through persecution and everyone's saying, I can't believe that you believe that. And you're the scum of the earth for believing that. And there's a text coming. When the distractions of life threaten to pull us away, when the pursuit of wealth, the temptation to serve wealth, When, when these things come, that in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit will always be there calling us, reminding us the words of Jesus, what he says about hard times, what he says about persecution, what he says about wealth, what he says about the ideas of this world. The Holy Spirit will be there and he will be speaking to you. And whether we make it or not, it depends on whether we learn to listen to the voice of our shepherd. And even in the midst of the confusion and the hurt and the pain, we say, yes, that is true, but I believe that you are the Holy One of God and that you alone have the words of eternal life. And so I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna follow and I'm gonna trust in you and I'm not gonna let anything stop me. Because you have the words that lead to life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as we come to just a very powerful passage, kind of a tipping point passage where some go one way, some go the other, Lord, we're just so thankful once again for the beauty of your word and this, this warning to us that we need to be listening, we need to be following that we're all gonna to come to critical crossroads and that a good start doesn't guarantee a happy ending. And so, Father, we pray now as we transition into a time of, of incredible, beautiful time of communion where we, we take your flesh, we take your, your blood as a sign and symbol of our belief in you and the new life we receive. We pray that you would speak to us. And if there's anything in our life right now where we are currently vulnerable, the enemy is using to make us vulnerable, I pray that you would reveal that to us so we'd hear the voice of your spirit authenticating the words of Jesus and that we would listen and we'd follow you to life. We pray this in your name, amen.